I'm Matsudiso, a musician, songwriter, producer and composer. I also teach. I'm fascinated by process, how we make what we make, why we make what we make. As a musician, I'm always learning from and inspired by other creatives, other musicians, artists, the arts itself, people. In short, life all inform the music I make. And I think that learning from others enriches not only our own art, but the arts. And why holding up the ladder? Well, because we're all trying to get somewhere and I think we build something stronger if we help each other. If we hold up the ladder rather than pull it up from under us as we climb. I'll be talking to all kinds of creatives about process, lessons learned, things that inspire us, the music we're listening to, what makes us who we are and the help we've had along the way. So join me as we climb, holding up the ladder. I like clever women. I like talking to clever women. They're women who are curious, thinking, women who know and love themselves. And because they love themselves, you can hear it and see it in the work that they make, continually exploring the reaches of their creativity. Singer, songwriter, cellist and composer, Ayanna Witter-Johnson is one of those women. Clever women also seem to have done a lot. They have a lot of qualifications. Here's a quick summary. Ayanna graduated with a first from both Trinity Laban Conservatoire of Music and Dance and the Manhattan School of Music. She's been a featured artist with saxophonist Courtney Pine's Afropeans Jazz Warriors, a member of sitarist Anushka Shankar's Traces of You album tour, and is the only non-American to have won Amateur Night Live at the Apollo Theatre in Harlem, New York. She's released three EPs through her own label, Hill and Gully Records, and her full-length album, Roadrunner, one of the tracks of the album you just heard, came out last year. I am shifting, and as I'm shifting, part of me thinks, gosh, but it doesn't sound like the song I released before, and like, will people still think it's me? Will they still see me? Will they recognise me in the new stuff? Ah, even that, even my own evolving stresses me out, because I'm like, what if I change and people don't know I've changed and they think something's happened to me uh <laughs> but I realized you can only write what you can write I can't yeah. put myself back five years to how things sounded five years ago it's just not gonna work we talk about Ayanna's journey from a place at Cambridge to study French and Spanish to a scholarship at the Manhattan School of Music from classical music composition and orchestration to jazz and songwriting and life as a performer. We talk about incorporating the cello, which she's named Rubin, into her performance, valuing her creative independence and our mutual love of 90s hip-hop and R&B. Here's Ayanna in her own words. Ayanna, thank you so much for doing this. My absolute pleasure. I love a good interview, so yes, looking forward. <laughs> <laughs> So I like to start by asking everyone to 
to tell us tell us a bit about themselves who are you where are you from how did you get into what you're doing sure so my name is Ayana Witter Johnson I am a born and raised Londoner I'm a songwriter a singer a cellist pianist and composer Great. That's a lot of a lot of things that you do. <laughs> do. I should say that you do really, really well. Um, I know that you went to Trinity Laban School of Music and Dance and the Manhattan School, isn't it? Absolutely. Um, yeah, I studied composition there. Right. And so how did you find yourself there? Find myself. Um, started learning to play the piano at four years old maybe three my mum took me to a piano teacher locally and she wanted me to play an instrument and around that time like I was singing and expressing myself and singing all the words to Terence Trent Darby and Sweet Honey and the Rock and she's like okay this kid's got a little bit of artistic flair um (laughs) let's start with the piano so I learned classically all through primary school when I got to secondary school I wasn't I wasn't doing much in the music class. I was assisting the teacher basically because I'd got so far with the piano. I wasn't, I wasn't learning anything. And he said to keep you occupied during this time, since you assisting me isn't good. um, Why don't you start a second instrument? So I went home with this long list of instruments and my mum was like, no woodwind, no brass, no drums, (laughs) please. And I was like, okay. So that left the strings Um, I thought my hands were quite big from piano playing, so I figured the violin would be too small. Uh, The double bass is too big anyway. (laughs) I didn't know what a viola was. And then, da-da, the cello was left. So I chose the cello and started that around year eight time. So those were my instruments, and I learned them both classically, did GCSE music, couldn't do A level because not enough people wanted to do it at school. It was very academic. You know, everyone was either going to be a doctor or a lawyer, essentially. A lot of my right. friends are doctors and lawyers. <laughs> and um, I started to find my voice very gently, singing um, various competitions at school and stuff. So I, I thought I was going to study French and Spanish, and that right. would be my thing. I had a place at Cambridge to study French with beginner Spanish. Um, Then, like, the biggest thing happened and I didn't get the grades I was supposed to get. Right. And, yeah, that sort of threw me off completely. Like, my first failure, um, inverted commas, failure, (laughs) stroke, best thing that ever happened to me. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I then took a gap year found myself through a friend of a friend's ex-boyfriend at one of the jazz cafe jam sessions on a Sunday. That was when I started to dip my toes into something that wasn't classical, essentially. Although, like, I grew up with R&B and hip-hop in the house and soul music and, and all of that, um, I, I was asked to get up on stage and do something, and I didn't know what to do like I I really didn't understand the tradition of jazz and standards and these people know these tunes and all of that um I just didn't know what was going on ultimately (laughs) so I said yeah yeah I'll come back with something in a few weeks so I came back in like two weeks having written this Nina Simone-esque song 
uh, on the piano and I, I was going to share this song I was so excited about. I invited all my family, all my friends, even my ex-boyfriend's parents at the time, like everyone was there. <laughs> uh, and then I went up to the stage and asked this man who I now know is, is Gary Crosby. Uh, and I went up to him and I was like, can I sing this song? And he was like, not really. Like, that's not how it works. I was like, but I've spent all this time working on this song and all my family are here. <laughs> and he was like, okay, just this one time, but I need to explain to you how this works. So he told me how it worked. I said, okay, got it. Um, but this week I'm going to do the song. So I did the song and it went down really well. And that was the beginning of me recognizing that maybe uh, I should pursue music. Um, right. I then had a breakfast. Yeah, I had a breakfast with my stepdad following that day. And he was like, you were really good. Why don't you follow the, mood, the music path now that you don't have a uni place? Um, and so I applied. I applied to Trinity, the only college I applied to. And I applied for the foundation course because I didn't have any confidence that I'd get in. So I just yeah. said, let me do this one year of music. That'll be fun. Then I can get back on track with French. Um, but I got, I got in on the BMAS course. They offered me a place to do the BMAS course in composition. Because again, I was like, I don't want to be a classical cellist. And I don't want to be an opera singer. And I don't know about any of the other boxes that they've got in this place, but composition sounds fun because I can make music and figure myself out. So that was how I basically got into the land of being a creative musician. Um, right. Yeah, artist ultimately, yeah. Well, we all thank you that um, Cambridge didn't let you in or we wouldn't yes. be listening to this, you know, your music Completely. That's so interesting. So. You actually started with composition. Were you writing your own music or were you writing, you know, like on the course, were they teaching you sort of the, the elements of composition and how to write for other things rather than yourself? Right. Yeah. Good, good distinction. I guess we were taught how to write for instruments, particular instruments. So you spend time understanding how each instrument works over the course, leading up to writing orchestrally. And then in between that, you have some experience with the electronic music, learning how to use Sibelius, Logic. We had a chapter on music concrete and just different approaches to composition, um, as well as, I think we had a moment, at least at Manhattan School of Music, we wrote an opera scene um and lots and lots of ensemble pieces so it wasn't so much yeah the process of being an artist and writing songs for myself that was everything that I did outside of of school and then brought what knowledge I had from school to that I love that so I'm going to stick a pin in that because I'm going to come back to that but how did right. you end up at Manhattan School of Music? One uh having graduated from Trinity I still felt like I, I was learning and finding my feet. I didn't have a clear sense of who I was as an artist. And I don't think I even had a desire to be an artist. I just knew that I had done this course. I was quite creative. I have these skills, but I wasn't quite sure what to do with them. I was also in a relationship at the time that I, I was also a little bit confused about. And I felt like I needed another adventure. <laughs> I, needed a, I needed an escape <laughs> my subconscious was like we need to go somewhere <laughs> away from all of this stuff 
Um, and again, I didn't tell anyone because I didn't think I'd get in. I applied to Manhattan School of Music and Juilliard, and mainly because it was such a jump from where I was technically and in terms of confidence to even be able to audition. I felt like that journey of preparing for something would help me to move myself along along my pathway. Yeah, so I, I applied to both schools. I pretended that, that I was going on holiday to New York for a week and <laughs> did the audition for Manhattan School of Music. No, and Julie, I, yeah, I did a remote audition. I did an in-person audition at Manhattan School of Music. And I got a scholarship for Manhattan School of Music. Amazing. Uh, and I, yeah, because it's so expensive, as you may know, to study in America. If I wasn't getting a scholarship, I wasn't going anyway to either school. <laughs> so the fact that I ended up with this scholarship from Manhattan School, I just had to go. There was no two ways yeah. about it. All the other expenses I knew I could fundraise and and um, use my savings to cover those costs. But yeah, my school fees were paid for and off I went. To Amazing. And yeah. how was how was that? You know, how was that transition? What was it like studying in America? What was it like? I, I think one one thing I do know about Americans generally, and I guess American musicians, is that there is a a sort of self-confidence that I think British people call it bragging, but I actually I think it's not. I think it's sort of like a knowledge of your skills. So what was that mm. like? being in that place, transitioning from, you know, London to a US institution? Funnily enough, on the one hand, from institution to institution, the structure was similar-ish. Lots of classes of varying kinds, a lot of coursework, a lot of work. So the idea of just being immersed in so much work was familiar. Um, even the types of classes, musicianship classes, just a really nice range um, of exposure to different musical concepts and ideas. That was familiar. What was maybe different was having to build friendships, get to know family I didn't yet know that I had in New York and try to figure myself out as a human being as well as basically being in school all the time and working on something. So quite an isolated, you know, studying experience, but also being in a new country and <laughs> making time to build, to build a life outside of school. Mm. And I think my saving grace was doing the Apollo competition because that, that kind of pulled together a community of people that wanted to support me through each round. And I kept winning and winning and winning. And, and that gave me a, a community of people who knew who I was, who validated my skills, who, who thought I was fantastic, who gave me a confidence um, in me as a performer, which is something that I wasn't there to study or do. I was there again on the composition course. So that, that really helped me to set the path for what's happening now. Like, oh, okay, I might have a life as a performer. You know, this this other side of me has value. Right. And for those that don't know, you are the first, the only non-American to win Amateur Night Live at the Apollo Theatre in Harlem. Whoop, whoop. Yeah. Well, that's, that's interesting because um, I know Americans, that's like a notorious platform. It's really hard in that place. Yeah. So 
well done yeah. for thank you, know, you. For winning. so then you you finish you've got you know you've got your degrees what happens next so I've got these degrees I win some money from the Apollo competition and I come back to London because I had started talking to a management company maybe just before I'd left or they'd seen a few things or recitals I'd given and were potentially interested in publishing in looking after my publishing and possibly management so we picked up that conversation and they had lined up a few things they knew about Apollo and they lined up a couple of gigs and it was a toss-up between staying there in New York or coming back and I knew that if I stayed in New York I'd have to waitress and babysit and earn money however I could in order to even just be there and I didn't want to do that I didn't want to spend my focus doing that so I came back knowing that I'd be able to stay with family and then just focus on building my career so I picked up that management conversation they took me under their wing and I started gigging I started gigging I recorded um, the song I performed at the Apollo Ain't I a Woman my version of Sojourner Truth Speech yeah. um, a, a blues ultimately so I recorded that I recorded Roxanne that I had been playing with before I left voice and cello that I'd been building that up you know gigging at a local restaurant and trying to earn a little money on the side so this cello voice thing that was validated by the Apollo I I'd started to really give life to that and I recorded my first EP truthfully and then yes there was like a snowball of <laughs> collaborations yeah. and gigs and stuff Heaven after that helps me into carriages or lifts me over ditches or gives me the best place anywhere ain't I a woman look at these arms that leads me nicely on to let's talk about the music that you make you know you've come from this composition background this classical music background and for those that might not have heard you and that will will love you after they've heard this you have this you know you play the cello but you play in this really percussive way if I if I think of it I think you you almost play your instrument like it's a, an extra piece of percussion you know and yeah you have three EPs you have Black Panther came out in 2014 Ella Rubin and I, 2018, Truthfully Still as well. And then Roadrunner came out last year, isn't it? Roadrunner came out last year. And Truthfully Still is um, like a re-edition of the very first EP, Truthfully, that came out when I left America. I'm so proud of of the journey. But I do play, I play Rubin, my cello, in a very Mm -hmm. soulful, percussive way. And it draws on... I guess everything I grew up on, so blues, it draws on um, jazz and how that came into my life at such an informative stage when my ears were just opening up and all this classical training was happening and also making friends with so many jazz musicians. That's how the music entered my life in a social mm. way. Um, mm. And and by osmosis, really, just by hanging out and going to gigs and absorbing the language and listening a lot to loads of records. So so my sound is is a real melting pot of everything I've listened to. 
yeah and i can hear i can hear that in your music and also there is a a singularity i find there is um you are so you from the very very beginning to now <laughs> your style has changed and you know you naturally all artists evolve but you are consistently yourself which is is just wonderful and so Thank let's talk you. a little bit about your process then when you're at home or when you're making what you're making when you have a choice you know of all these instruments you have the cello you have your voice you have the piano you know how to compose for lots of different instruments how does Iana start a song or come up with an idea what what happens explain that to me yeah gosh I'm trying to explain that to myself <laughs> I love it so depending on the thing so currently I'm writing new songs and I also have an orchestral commission on my plate. So they are different worlds. And, and I do start, you know, with different mindsets, I guess. There are different things to consider. If it's a song, a song will usually arrive, sometimes just a fragment of a melody will come to me, usually when I'm walking, in which case I sing it into my phone, or if I'm in the shower, somehow water... Uh, seems to get my mind creatively flowing so like just a lyric or a melody or if I'm practicing I might stumble upon a chord sequence or not even that much maybe one or two chords or a chord and I just jot it down I note it down and I usually come back to it I like to layer ideas and that's what I've noticed that's similar between my compositional approach and songwriting approach I like to have a fragment of an idea that I come back to maybe the next day or the day after um, and layer things up because I start to hear other things I didn't hear that first time. So it's quite organic with the songs. I think piano is more instinctive for me in terms of chords and I don't have to think so much about what is happening with the playing. So most of the songs, even if they end up on cello, have probably started with the piano. A few have started straight on the cello um but most i would say on the piano um and compositionally i also like to start from the piano just to play the idea as opposed to going straight into sibelius or possibly straight to logic but i like to just get a sense of what's happening under my fingers then um then i'll come back and and make things more detailed over time and um, so with songwriting and composition, I'm imagining composition, you're usually commissioned to do work. So, yeah. So do you have a brief that you're like, they want it to be about something or sound like something, then you write from that place? Yeah. And I'm, I'm trying to see what my life as a composer looks like outside of being commissioned, because it's true. It's, it's so much energy to write a 10 minute orchestral work unless you know you're going to make that performance happen or find it from an orchestra, I t it tends to be a response to a commission because then the orchestra says, we want that piece from you. We're ready and willing to play it. <laughs> so right. it's about, I guess it's about rationing your energy. But I receive a, a, a request. We'd love you to write a piece. Normally it's just, it's this long between seven and 10 minutes or no less than eight minutes or something sometimes or maybe half the time it'll be the theme is loosely dance or something that has 
inspired you in some way. Very loose. Um, it's never overly prescriptive. But depending on who you're writing for, so I've written things for like amateur musicians or grade four to six or whatever the specific of who's playing it, that might put limitations on what can happen. I see, I see. And yeah. grade four to six, you mean like grade four, like piano or grade four cello exam? Yeah, or whatever the instrument is. So I, I'm now on my third orchestral commission for the year, which is unusual. And I don't know, I don't know where they're all coming from, but thank you very much. <laughs> it's great. <laughs> And one of them has, you know, four grades, four to six um, of the varying orchestral instruments. So each of those will have their own things that do and don't work. Okay. And then Mm. obviously songwriting, that's for you. Can I say that? Would you say that's for you? It is. Yeah, that's absolutely right. It's for me and I am learning to discover deeper and deeper layers of putting myself authentically in a song without calling someone out so if I want to write about an experience with someone how do I express that without it being (laughs) obvious necessarily to that person because I want to still keep it for me yeah totally and tell me how um tell me a little bit about how you play your cello because it's really Mm. Actually, it's funny, I was listening to, obviously, just to prepare for this, I was listening to a lot of your music. And the other artist that I think of that plays their instrument really percussively is Annie DeFranco. Ah. No, you know, Annie DeFranco, I know the name, but I don't know if I've ever really delved into her world. In fact, I know I haven't. I re- I really got into Annie DeFranco in sort of the early 2000s, and I only listened to Annie DeFranco. So I know <laughs> So I know her stuff quite well, and she plays guitar really percussively. Okay. And her, her music, um, she, she actually went to the new school in America, yeah. and yeah. she was actually, I think one of her teachers was Amiri Baraka, the poet. Yes. So her words are like, she almost sings, um, sings like she's rapping, Although she's obviously not rapping, but the words are really important and her guitar playing is really percussive. Or like, for example, the the singer from Cap Verde, Sarah Tavares, the way she plays guitar, it's very, it's not always harmonic, it's percussive. And so when I'm listening to your cello playing, mm. it's got a lot of texture, the way you move on the bow. And I just wanted to ask yeah. you, like, why... Did you choose it? Because you could have just played, you know, straight traditional orchestral bowing, but you really elevated it. (laughs) Thank you. And I'll tell you the journey of it. When I got to Trinity, I was on the composition course and I tried to join the orchestra briefly when I got there, but it just wasn't working. And I don't, it's not set up for you to jump between the boxes ultimately. And I didn't play it for the first year. I started playing it again in 2000 five I'm gonna say I started playing it again in 2005 and taking second study cello with a teacher there called David Kennedy and at that time I needed money as I was talking about before and got myself a gig at a Caribbean restaurant around the corner and I said to her I play piano and sing I can come once a week and she said great you know she didn't say that she didn't have a piano and (laughs) I wasn't about to bring one (laughs) so that's when so from that time, that's when I started playing with 
with cello and singing. So it's been going on for quite some time but in a very rudimentary form. And it was just bass notes in the beginning because that's as much as I could just about handle. I was still getting my head around jazz and chord sequences and learning where the chords were even on the cello. So I'd have a list of songs. I'd sit there at the back of the restaurant. I'd play the bass notes. It'd probably be a Nina Simone song and sing as well. And then I'd just play these bass notes. But it, it's it's the kind of instrumentation that doesn't work well when people are talking over it. Like it's it would kind of melt into a conversation, really. Right. So I needed I needed to feel like I was enjoying the music. I needed the groove basically, and there wasn't a drummer with me. So that's when things started to to get percussive because I needed something to kind of vibe with <laughs> at the same time. So those were the nuts and bolts of it coming together. And everything since then has just been just a bit more and more adventurous depending on what the song needed or wants. But yeah, there's a lot of bass playing in my playing. And I've noticed that with some of the new songs, like I, I love a good bass line and a groove. <laughs> mm. And and you know it's funny because I you know your new record Roadrunner I hear dance all in it sometimes. Yes, I'm glad you said that. Yes, there is dance all definitely rise up started out in my mind as a dance all vibe. Um, there's a lot of dance all even in playground. There's like a little bit of like something in there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I guess mm-hmm. it's it's part of your your Caribbean roots. So it's like it's it's embedded in there again what I love you know when I talk about your singularity is that I can hear classical in there I can hear it I can hear Nina Simone in there I can hear the dancehall vibes the the drum yeah <laughs> but, but it all still sounds like Ayana which is oh I love that yeah I know it's, it's quite amazing so tell me who or what inspires and informs your work it's a great question and it's one that I don't think I've ever been able to to pinpoint precisely. I think I just journey through life quite open-hearted and open-eared and eyed. And I find at the point at which I want to create something, it's because something emotionally has resonated with me. So it could be something as simple as being on a retreat, which is where Playground came from, for example, just being in this retreat and sitting in absolute stillness and watching a windowsill filled with spiders in their own ecosystem, zipping up and down these windows, basically building houses, catching flies. And it was so methodical and it was, I've never seen like a row of them all at work, all simultaneously. I just found the process is beautiful. Usually things that I find fascinating, beautiful, conversations I've had that have stuck with me, or emotions, difficult emotions that I try to process positively will will often end up in a song. Everywhere is teeming with life Every little space occupied With something, with something, with something Everything that's still So it's it's a lot of feeling responses to to things that happen or have happened or that I've heard about happening. Right. And mm-hmm. I love that because like 
tell me about um is it wooden woman mm. because who are you, i mean i know you know you're talking about you said there are feelings that you're processing and you don't want to sort of identify people in the song oh yeah yeah I yeah, feel yeah. Like talking about someone no i love that and wooden woman is very it's a very specific song actually i was in thailand after having come back from america and again although i was starting to gig i wasn't sure i didn't have a a sense of i'm going to release loads of albums and tour and be this kind of artist and i went on a holiday with a good friend at the time to kind of find myself in inverted commas i tell this story on stage like i went away to find myself and ultimately didn't i just had a great holiday <laughs> <laughs> we were like on the way to a secluded beach over rocks and hills and it was quite a journey to get to this beach and I turned around at one point in the walk and saw behind me a tree trunk that had been damaged I'm guessing in the tsunami they had had not long before that time um, and in it was carved what I thought was a woman and it was just a beautiful carving in this tree it was just so unexpected and absolutely amazing I took a picture of it and I was like, this wooden woman, basically, I called her wooden woman. And it was just the symbol of me coming into myself and trying to find myself in this space. And I got back and I, I used to show this picture on gigs. I still do sometimes. And someone in the audience was like, that's not a woman. And I was like, what? What is it then? <laughs> and then she was like, it's a Buddha. And I was like, wow, even better. Like, it's even more what the song's about. <laughs> So yeah, wooden woman was an actual thing, but the symbol of kind of self-discovery. If you hadn't caught my eye Hey, wooden woman so quiet and peaceful under the tide sunlight been talking to me about self-discovery and sort of finding yourself um are there any mistakes i mean i'm actually changing the word mistake to perhaps lessons learned is probably a better thing that you have made that we can learn from there are so many lessons all day every day all day every day i think i think i i tend to think the best of people and situations and can often make decisions too quickly I feel like due diligence is needed a greater level of due diligence and that's what my my manager is great in helping me to see different angles of a situation I tend to just latch onto the positive and be like yeah yeah I'm sure it's gonna be great and she'll be like let's look at the contract clause 2.3 are you happy with that <laughs> and then I'll be like mm, uh actually maybe not but maybe it'll be okay. She's like, are you happy with that? Um, no. <laughs> so I'm very, I can be naive in thinking the best, although it, it helps to just see things for what they are as best you can and then go from there. Well, that's, that's a good thing. And, and actually, this is, this, this is good in terms of the fact, you know, you're an independent artist. You could have been, you could have signed to a major label, but you have like your manager who helps, I guess, be your eyes and ears. What, you, why did you, not, instead of signing to a major, ha set up your own label, Hill and Gully Records? You know, why did you do that? I don't think it was such a clear cut choice. I think there have always been conversations 
um, floating with various labels um, along the way. I don't think, no, to be fair, but, but <laughs> actually, to be fair, when I got close to looking at a major label contract, so three or four times I was asked to do the voice. And one of them was in France. Please come to France and do the voice for us. Like, it felt like every year they just wanted me to do the show. Mm-hmm. And I remember looking at this contract. And honestly, I've never had panic attacks, heart palpitations. I mean, this is just one type of contract that was particularly mm-hmm. intense. But I've never felt so out of control and scared about losing my creative voice than I had reviewing that contract that contract was the most stressful thing I think I've ever read in my life (laughs) (laughs) I was an absolute wreck wow even having to tell them I'm not doing it because they just couldn't understand or I wouldn't just sign it (laughs) it was so anxiety inducing I thought I don't care where, who, what. I would never sign anything that looks like that. Wow. No way. No way. Wow. Because this is not what I'm in this for. I'm, I want to be the best version of myself and share that with people. Mm. I don't want to pretend to be something in order to make a certain amount of money that you may not even make. <laughs> that was yes. the worst part about yes. it. It was like, ah, this isn't even lucrative enough to tempt me to, to sign this thing. The only carrot dangling is fame. Mm. And I don't think that fame would feel very good for something that you don't care about or isn't you. I can't imagine that that's a good approach to fame. <laughs> so know? interesting. And so how you said it, you touched on it, but, you you know, how important is your creative voice and maintaining that creative voice for you? It's so super important. And I, like you said about evolving, I am shifting. And as I'm shifting, part of me thinks, gosh, but it doesn't sound like the song I released before. And like, will people still think it's me? Will they still see me? Will they recognize me in the new stuff? Ah, even that, even my own evolving stresses me out because I'm like, what if I change and people don't know I've changed and they think something's happened to me? Uh, <laughs> but I realise you can only write what you can write. I can't yeah. put myself back five years to how things sounded five years ago. It's just not going to work. So I'm happy knowing that in this moment, this is what's emerging from me. This is who I am in this chapter and mm. I think you know if I think of artists like some of the artists that I love the most are people that like say Björk who changes all the time but she's consistently herself no matter yes. what she's doing yeah. because I think there is a, a, a certain creative integrity that she has mm. Kate Bush another one yes yes I love these these two are like, obviously we're kindred spirits with them because I love them both for that very reason of just somehow always having been them, even though they have shifted and moved and, and the, the outer texture and packaging may have changed, but nothing has changed in terms of who they are. 
Yeah, totally. So yeah. that leads me nicely onto my last question. What music are you listening to at the moment? Ooh, I love this because I feel like I'm listening to music again. Um, so my dad and I have been sharing musical ideas in quarantine. Um, he's been sending me retransfers of Leroy Burgess. Do you know Leroy? No, I don't. He's an African-American songwriter from back in the day, like Stevie Wonder time, Donny Hathaway time. He is excellent. Like, it's kind of disco and R&B and funk, and it's incredible. It's incredible. So I've been listening to Leroy Burgess, which has been nice. Um, Thundercat, Moses Sumney's new album, latest album. Loving that. It's beautiful. It's so beautiful. Um... Brittany Howard's love debut, it. Jamie. I love that album. I love that album. So, yeah, that's what I've been on. What have you been listening to? Gosh, what have I been listening to? Well, I've been listening to a lot of you because of Yay. this. <laughs> so, I'm trying to think. What have I been li- Yeah, and I'm someone who tends to, um, when I listen to something, I listen to it over and over and over and over and over again. Yeah, and then I'll move on to something else and listen to it over and over. And so, um, I was interviewing this Botswana singer from Botswana called Mpo Sibina. Yeah, and I've been listening to her songs over and over, oh, and, over and over again. So, I yeah, that's what I've been doing. Um, but I can't. I can't actually think of what I was listening to before that. I I, I make all these playlists. So I was listening to, oh, some old sort of hip hop and R and B from the nineties because I made a playlist for yes. a friend. <laughs> yeah. Do you know what? It's funny you say that because it's it's my go to. It's that's like my safe haven music. Mm. Mm. That's like if I just need a quick pick me up to feel nostalgic, to feel like all is good. That's where I'm headed. Yeah. <laughs> 90s R&B and hip hop. Can't be Can't it. Be it. <laughs> Iana, thank you so, so much for your time. Thank and you. And sharing for your me. insight. It's been really, really interesting. So thank oh, you so Thank you. I've loved it. I said I love a good interview and I loved it. <laughs> Thank you so much to Ayanna for such an engaging interview. I told you, I love talking to clever women. Please be sure to follow Ayanna on all her social media platforms, stream her music, details of which are in the blurb below. And as always, share, like, subscribe to the podcast on the SoundCloud and Insta platforms at Holding Up The Ladder, hashtag H-U-T-L. Next week, we'll be heading back to South Africa, where I'll be interviewing singer-songwriter Mpo Sabina. Generally, growing up in Botswana, the the basis of the thing is you go to school, you finish high school, and then you get a degree, and then you get a job. So I was on my path to doing that, but music was always something that I really enjoyed and loved, um, that I was doing and practicing, I guess, on the side, you know, from just listening to it. And also, I had a lot of friends who were who were musicians um so we would jam together and i was constantly learning how to record and writing and all that until next time